in the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created man to have a relationship with him. And as he was talking with man, he also recognized it's not good for man to be alone. And he created woman. So God, and when he created us, he designed us to be relational beings. Unfortunately, we keep on reading in Scripture, and we know what happens in chapter 3. You know, sin enters the world, and uh, it distorts that relationship between us and God. And it distorts that relationship uh, between us and other people. And as a result, you know, we struggle to really reconnect. If you keep on reading in Scripture in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, the, the Pharisees are coming up to Jesus and they're asking him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus responds by giving him two. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And then he says, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to say, the entire scriptures depend on these two commands. And what Jesus is saying at that time and to us tonight is that we were created to have relationships with God and with people. We're designed to be connected. And science agrees with that. It's been fascinating. In the last 10 years, we've been really studying the brain. And I came across some of uh, Dr. Dan Siegel's studies on the brain studies. And what they said is this. They've come to realize that the brain is actually a social organ. And they go on to say this, that when relationships are broken, we feel assaulted. But how do we remedy this? You know, all of us here, you know, we're here, we're talking about relationships. There are times that we are longing to be close to people, but we're really struggling. And certainly, that's what redemption is all about. That's the reason why Christ came. He came to redeem us so that we can have that relationship with God, to have healthy relationships with one another. So tonight, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be focusing on three things. We're going to be talking about how we're wired to connect and that we're prone to disconnect. And by God's grace, we can learn to connect in healthy ways. And Becky's going to lead us. Um, what we are looking for in relationships is we're looking for connection, Right? We are wired to connect. Uh, psychologists talk about this as attachment. So, um, and they talk about attachment needs. We all have attachment needs, and we look to relationships to meet those needs. Um, attachment needs, examples of that would be, um, I need to know that I matter to someone. Right? I need to know that someone is there for me, that they have my back. I need to feel respected and valued and known. I need to feel safe. I need to know that this relationship won't somehow overwhelm me or hurt me. Right? Those are all attachment needs. And attachment needs are universal, lifelong, God-given, and essential for our survival. So they're universal. They're Every, this is cross-cultural. Every human in every culture across the world has attachment needs. They're lifelong. Um, early research on attachment needs really focused in on infants and, and small children. And so a lot of times when you hear talk about attachment, it's still mostly about little ones. 
But um, the cutting edge research is right now on adult attachment because they've really seen that from the day you're born to the day you die, you need people. You need to feel loved and to, uh, to be loved and to love, right? Um, and that's really attachment needs are God-given. Dave quoted some scripture. I just like to say that um, needing other people and being needed by them is not God's plan B, right? We, we tend to think sometimes like, hey, if I were a really, really spiritual Christian, me and God is all I need, right? That's, but, you know, since I'm kind of weak, I need other people, so, you know, I guess I, I need that support. But that's actually not the biblical perspective, right? The biblical perspective is that it's good. I, I designed you to need other people, to need God and other people. Um, so it's not, needing other people is not God's plan B. And then they're also essential for our survival. Um, we just aren't wired to, to thrive or even to really make it without other people. Um, so tell me, you recognize this actor? Who is this? Tom Hanks. And do you know what movie this, did I hear it? Castaway, yeah. So Tom Hanks and Castaway, did you all, like, I know this is, was a while ago, so have some of you seen, not seen this, who's seen it? Seen it, okay. So in that movie, he's in a plane crash, he's on, he's the only person on an island for months? How long was it? A year? I don't even know. Very long time. And to survive, he had two main attachment objects. Um, tell me what, what's one that comes to mind right away. Wilson. He had Wilson, his volleyball that he named Wilson, and he, he personified it. Like he, he related to Wilson like Wilson was a, was a person. And he had one other attachment object. Anyone remember? Well, the package was there. I don't know if it was an attachment object. That's, he also had the photo of his fiancée in the little locket. And he sometimes, you, you didn't see him relating to it as much, but you would see him needing it there. Um, and so, yeah, that's just an example of how we need, we're, we need attachment to survive so much that if we don't have it, we make it up, right? Um, so describing secure attachment a little bit more, um, secure attachment, that feeling that I'm in a relationship where I, where I love and I am loved and I know and I am known, that comes from a sense of emotional connection. So it's this felt sense of closeness, that this person gets me and I get them. Um, it's really key to healthy development because it impacts how we view ourselves and how we connect with other people, right? So if um, my attachment is not good, I might learn that I'm not really worthy of being loved and other people aren't really very trustworthy because I don't have a connection that, that really feels like I can rely on it. Um, if attachment is secure... I grow up with this view of myself that I'm, I'm kind of, I'm worthy of love to some degree, right? I, I mess up, I fail, I'm bad, but 
hey, I still have this sense that I can be loved. And I grow up thinking, hey, I can trust other people too. Um, Now, in our culture in the U.S., we kind of have this, um, this view of individualism, right? Be strong, be independent, um, that rugged individualism, self-made man kind of is valued in, in the U.S. culture. Um, and so from that lens, with hearing me talk about needing other people, you know, and talking about attachment, it can sound like this, right? It can sound like, don't leave me, stay here, right? Clingy, dependent. Because um, sometimes we think this is independent and, you know, we don't want attachment is over here on dependent and that's icky, right? And so what, what I'm seeing is that attachment is actually the foundation for really healthy independence and for really healthy, a healthy kind of dependence, the kind that says it's okay for me to need people and for other people to need me. Right, so it's the foundation for both of those. They're not opposites. Um, John Bowlby, who was the founder of Attachments Theory um, a number of years back, he, he describes secure attachment as providing a safe haven and a secure base. So that safe haven is um, the idea that I can go to this person for comfort and reassurance and support. Um, this person is my shoulder to lean on. You know, that's my safe haven. Then the idea of a secure base is it's like, because I have this solid foundation, I can go out into the world and thrive and like be my best self and take risks and explore. Um, It's like a little toddler, you know, walking away from mom. Like when they know mom's there, they can just go, right? But we're all like that. We're all at our best when we know someone has our back and we have that secure base. Um, For those, from a Christian perspective, when we talk about a safe haven and a secure base, like the ultimate secure attachment is God. Because God's that ultimate safe haven, always there for us. We can turn to him with anything going on inside us. There's a verse in the Psalms, I forgot the reference, but it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And, you know, it's just that idea. Turn to God. Pour out your hearts, right? Um, And God is also our secure base. Because we are loved and valued by God, so we can take risks, go out, thrive, right? Give to others. And we're not looking to them to fill us up somehow, because we've got that secure base. Um, Sue Johnson, Dr. Sue Johnson, who also does attachment stuff with couples, she says, the more securely connected we are, the more separate and different we can be. And I like that. Um, So even though we're wired to connect and we're, we're designed for secure attachment, we're definitely prone to disconnect. We are, and I'm giving you, I I hope you're hearing as I'm going along how this applies to couples, right? That insecure attachment, isn't that what we long for, a safe haven and a secure base, right? Isn't that what we long for from our partner, from our husband or wife or 
You know, we probably grew up longing for some of that from our mom or our dad or whoever our caregiver was. But those are, I hope you're hearing how relevant this is, you know, even though we're still in the little bit of the theoretical piece here. Um, But we're prone to disconnect because we are fallen people and we live in a fallen world with a lot of other fallen people, right? And so we don't have secure attachment. We aren't always getting those attachment needs we have. We aren't always getting them met. Um, And when we don't get our attachment needs met, we just don't function that well. We might feel anxious or hurt or withdraw or we get angry or we try to fix things and control things, and we develop these coping mechanisms to try to get our attachment needs met. Um, So this is why it gets hard to connect sometimes because our unmet attachment needs are causing us to not feel very good. Neuroscience, as Dave um, referred to too, neuroscience also says emotional closeness is coded as a safety cue in our brains, right? So if we have that sense that we are loved and we are known, our brains can go, ah, good, right? And I can function at my best. But isolation and emotional separation from attachment figures are coded as danger cues. And that's that part of you that when you see the look on your wife's or husband's face, goes, oh no, oh no, oh no, right? (laughs) Or if you are alone, you start getting this, oh no, I'm alone here. Because there's something in your brain that is not wired to thrive when we are not connected, when we're disconnected. So when our needs aren't met, and when we have that, like, oh, no voice in our brain, when that happens, we really have two basic options on how to handle these unmet attachment needs we have. Um, And our two basic options, I'm calling pursue and withdraw. There are more technical terms in the literature, but we're going with pursue and withdraw. Um, Pursue. Pursue is that idea that um, I, if I am going to um, try to make my attachment needs be met, I am going to um, maybe nag, criticize, maybe I'll get clingy or needy. Um, I'm going to try to make it happen. I'm going to demand. Um, I'm going to try to maybe fix the problem or control everything. Basically, the stance of a pursuer, someone who tends to pursue to try to get their needs met, is that they are acting on the anxiety that not being connected creates, right? They are going to act on that, and they are going to act on that by moving toward the other person with intensity, okay? The withdrawer is different. The withdrawer... The withdrawer feels the same, like, oh, no, inside, but instead of acting on it by getting intense and moving toward that person, they act on it by trying to shove those attachment needs down. Okay, if I'm going to stay connected, they still want to stay connected, but if I'm going to stay connected, I have to shove my needs down because it can't handle this. Like, this is not good. So I'm going to just shove them down. Um, And so what... Withdrawers might do, they, all might, they might push the other person away. They'll tell themselves, it's okay, you don't need that person anyway, right? Um, 
They might put up a wall. They might hold up a stop sign in bed. <laughs> um, they might numb out, um, distract themselves. So if their attachment needs aren't being met, they tend to take a step back away from the other person. Um, so most, most of us tend to do one or the other more in our relationships. Sometimes with different relationships, you'll be different. Maybe you have a brother or sister. Maybe you normally do withdraw, but you have a brother who withdraws more than you do. So in that relationship, you pursue a little bit just to stay connected. You know, it can be, it can be different in different relationships, but generally speaking, you'll have a tendency. There are some people who, um, especially if there's been like abuse or trauma in the past, then some of us will do kind of a come here, go away at the same time. So it's like, where are you? Where are you? I need you. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, no, back away. Back away. You're not safe. Oh, but I need you right here, right now. Right? So we get, so you send really mixed messages at the same time. And it's understandable given the history, but it's really confusing and hard to be feeling that and to live with that. Um, So usually what happens when we, so wait, before I go on, are you guys identifying with the pursue withdraw? Can you kind of think, okay, I'm probably in this camp or probably in that camp? Okay, great. Would you say, um, I'm taking a little bit tiny extra time since it's a small group, I feel like a little more freedom. <laughs> um, if you had to guess in the, in the United States culture, um, if male or female tend to be the pursuer, what would you say? Yeah, in our culture, the females probably maybe like, I, Dave and I think it's maybe like 60-40. Like the females pursue maybe 60% of the time and males withdraw. But that is the stereotype in our culture is that, well, he's a man, so that's why he puts up the wall and he withdraws, right? But Dave and I are not that. I tend to be the withdrawer in our relationship, and he tends to be the pursuer. So we're really aware that the stereotype is not across the board. Um, <clears throat> so usually, going on to negative patterns here, usually when um, the way we react when we're not secure and the way our significant other reacts when they're not secure, can, it usually that interacts and creates kind of a self-reinforcing loop. So what I mean by that, I'm going to have Dave come up and illustrate this with me. So what I mean by that is, let's say if I'm pursuer, I'll be, I'll be different here than normal. So if I'm pursuing, then Dave withdraws, right? And then the more I pursue the more he withdraws. And so it creates a self-reinforcing loop, right? And it continues. Thank you, honey. Thank appreciate you. your being my so example. <laughs> it continues until he's backed into the corner, right? And when withdrawers are backed into the corner, then they'll attack if they need to, sometimes to push someone away. Um, or the pursuer goes, this isn't worth it. And then you get what we call a burned-out pursuer who gave up and said, it's futile, it's never happening, I can never reach this person. Um, So it can be that pursuing can be like the more that I criticize and complain, the more my husband feels um, attacked and disrespected, and so the more he avoids me. But the more he avoids me, the more I criticize and complain, 
right? And then the, because I'm feeling kind of alone and rejected over here. So those are, if I'm putting in some behaviors in it, it would be a cycle, something like that. Um, so we call it kind of a pain cycle or a negative cycle, and it can kind of be that infinity loop that just keeps going around and around. Um, you can recognize it in your relationships often by a feeling of, oh, no, here we go again, right? The topic could be different, but the emotions, the way you feel in that moment is very similar. <laughs> and you get that, oh, here we go again. Why are we fighting again? Um, or sometimes you can look at it, you can kind of get a sense of your end of the cycle. Depend, um, if you look back and you go, oh, in my friendships or in my romantic relationships, I've tended to act in certain ways each time, right? I, there's kind of a pattern here. So sometimes you can get a sense of it that way too. Um, so what I want to do is I want to show you an example. We had a couple that was volunteered <laughs> to do um, a little role play. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring them up now, and you're going to see a couple doing an arguing in what turns out to be an argument. And what I want you to kind of ask yourself or think of as they do it is ask yourselves what's the kind of self-reinforcing loop that you're seeing between them where the more we called him Sam and Julie. So the more that um, Sam does X, the more Julie does what? Right? So just think of that. Keep that in mind as we watch it. And we're going to bring them up now. And let's see. Let me look at my... So I'm going to set this stage a little bit. We're going to have you sitting on these. Is that okay? Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So um, Julie and Sam. Julie's mom has Alzheimer's. And she had a health crisis. The mom had a health crisis a couple weeks ago and was hospitalized for a few days, and now she's in a skilled nursing facility that's really near Sam and Julie's house. Her dad, who normally is mom's caregiver, went out of town on a business trip, and so Julie's been going to visit her mom every day after work. And at the end of this really long day, here they are sitting down and talking. So go ahead. Okay, 
I'm not trying to be mean, but maybe if you just accepted that this is a stage we're going through, and you didn't expect me to fix dinner, and keep doing everything with my mom having a crisis. It's hard enough to watch her shutting down. This is your mom or dad, and you'd be there for them. You know you would. Wait a minute, that's not fair. I've been very supportive of you. I didn't tell you to make dinner tonight. That was your choice. You can't put that on me. I told you this isn't a good time to talk. I can't handle this right now. My mom is shutting down, and all you do is tell me what I'm doing wrong. I can't do it. So now this is my fault? I barely see you for days, and then I get yelled at for trying to help you. Fine, whatever. This conversation's over. <laughs> okay. Thank you, you guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, so as you heard that, um, thank you. You guys did a great job. As you heard that, like, what would you describe any little negative loop that was going on? Like, what did you see? Like, the more that Julie did, what the more that Sam did. Someone give it a try. Or tell me what Sam was doing. What did you hear him doing? Okay, the more that she was like, ah, I can't handle this, the more he was like, hey, come on, you got to listen. Yeah, good. And then the more he was like, come on, you got to listen, the more she went, stop it. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. Or you could say, you know, the more he gave advice, the more she tuned him out, or, or right, that kind of. But you could see how it it um, kept going. What would you say that um, in that situation? What would you say Sam's like positive intention was? Like, what was he trying? Yeah, he just wanted a wife who wasn't stressed out, or he wanted to kind of help her see what she needed to do to make it better. Um, what did Julie need, do you think? Comfort, understanding. What did Sam need? A wife that was there and, he, and to feel like she was really hearing him, you know? And like, well, thank you for caring, you know? <laughs> like, anyway, yeah, yeah, good. We're going to come back to them in a little while and look at that situation again. Um, but what I want you to know just for now on negative patterns is that if you're in a loop like that, where the more that you do pursue, the more the other one withdraws, right? If you're in that, those, the more that those go around and around without getting resolved, then generally the more escalated they'll get, right? So if we don't resolve this or repair it afterwards, and we just keep doing this and then sweeping things under the rug, we're, we're, it's going to feel worse and worse. So we'll get more escalated. And the more it goes around without being resolved, um, the smaller the thing needs to be to trigger it. So it can become just, you looked at me that way again, right? <laughs> and I knew what you thought. And so Dave's going to jump in on the triggers and talk about how we can connect in healthy ways. Right. So, so far we've talked about that we're created to connect. And then uh, we've seen that we're prone to disconnect. Uh, but I need the. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> but that brings us to our next point, and that is by God's grace, we can connect in healthy ways. So we're going to talk about different ways that how we can 
in the midst of this struggle to reconnect, how do we do that? And one of the first things that we need to do is become aware of our own personal triggers. You know, the essence of the gospel is that we're all broken and we need a Savior. And for true healing to happen, we need to be able to bring our brokenness to God. One of the problems, though, is we're not always aware of our brokenness. We're not always aware of where our triggers are. And so often what happens is that these emotional triggers come up, and all of a sudden we're pushing people away, and we don't even realize. It's like, what's going on? Why are these people moving away from me? You know, we've been talking a lot about a husband and wife type of relationship, but this happens in all our relationships, whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, with our parents, with our friends. You know, each of us tend to be a person who pursues or withdraws. And we're actually what's going on, and we're just kind of reacting to what's, you know, what we're feeling. And so let me just talk a little bit about um, the emotional brain for a second. I'm going to use my hand kind of as an object lesson here. If, if this is our brain, my thumb here represents uh, the emotional brain, the lower brain. And my fingers here represents the prefrontal cortex. is where we do all our thinking and reasoning but it's also where we have empathy. Now, the, the role of the emotional brain is to protect us. And so when we get triggered, when we get scared, frightened, either about something physical or even emotional, what happens, this part of the brain takes over, and it's called flipping your lid. You know, have you ever been in the situation where you're in an argument with somebody, and they're not listening to you? They're not being reasonable. In fact, they have no empathy. Because what's happened is this part of the brain has taken over. And as I said, the empathy part of our brain is up here. And when we flip our lid, it's really hard to have empathy. And here, you know, in that scenario that we were looking at, she was looking for some empathy, and he couldn't because his lid began, he got, began to get upset about what was going on with that. And that happens with us when we have conflicts, either, you know, the past with our parents, our brothers and sisters, roommates, Whoever, when we flip our lid, our emotional brain takes over. And it's trying to save us. And so that's why we kind of sometimes over-pursue. Or sometimes we're withdrawing with that. And what happens, we have these inner dialogues with ourselves. We begin to think and process things. And we're going to give you a little glimpse. We're going to come back to the same scenario. But this time, we're going to bring two new people up. And what they're going to do as they read through it, somebody, they're going to be um, the inner brain kind of thinking. This is what I'm thinking. Before I say something, this is what I'm really thinking and what I'm feeling. So why don't you guys come up there. Give you enough space. Yeah, I think she is. It's really painful to watch. 
really worried about Judy. Until she's not more reserved, but I feel the need to help her take a step back and rethink what she's doing. You know, you're going to have to start putting some limits on the amount of time you spend there. You've been going nonstop and you can't keep doing this. Oh no, he sounds unhappy with me. I think he thinks I'm not managing this well. Well, I will come back. I won't be there every day. It's just a crisis. I told Dad I'd check on her while he's gone. She doesn't seem to be listening to me. Now I'm afraid I don't matter to her enough for her to take my view into account. But it shouldn't all fall on you. I'm watching you and you're going to burn out. Oh no, now he's more upset with me. It's so hard for me to think straight when I'm so tired. Why did I even bring this up? Look, we have to talk about this now. You know I've had a really long day. I don't believe any of this. I told that I'd help all this way, and I can't go back and let it out. Can you just drop it? I'm afraid that I don't matter to her at all. I'm afraid that I'm going to have to watch her run herself into the ground. But that's the problem. There's never a good time to talk. You're always too busy, too tired. You're doing too much, and this isn't working. I feel so trapped. How can I make him happy without letting my dad down? I wish Sam was more understanding. I said I'm not going to stay on this kind of schedule. This is still a crisis, and I have to help Dad. I already told him I'd be there tomorrow, and Sunday. Why can't I get through to her? She's so important to me. I just want her to be okay. I want us to be okay. I think you need to listen to me. I'm more objective, and I'm telling you that you're doing too much. Let your brother and sister step up for a change. I feel like I can't get anything right. What did I do wrong? I don't feel safe right now. I just need to make Sam understand. Okay, I'm not trying to be mean, but maybe if you just accepted that this is the stage you're going through and didn't expect me to fix dinner and doing everything with my mom having a crisis, it's hard enough to watch her shutting down. If this were your mom or dad, you would be there for them. You know you would. I've heard so much of her pushing me away, and now she's blaming me too? This is so painful. Wait a minute, that's not fair. It's been, I've been very supportive of you. I didn't tell you to make dinner tonight. That was your choice. You can't put that on me. Oh, I wanted the support, and it feels like all I got was blame. I might as well just hide in my shell and cry. I told you this isn't a good time to talk for me to talk. I just can't feel this right now. My mom is shutting down, and all you do is tell me what I'm doing wrong. I just can't believe this. She's not listening to me at all. She doesn't understand my concerns. I feel helpless and hopeless. So now this is my fault. I barely see you for days, and then I get yelled at for trying to help. Fine, whatever. This conversation's over. I'm sleeping on the couch. I'm so alone. Let's give my big hand, folks, to our thespians. So... Tell me, what did you notice about what was going on inside Sam and Julie? What, what were some of your observations? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right, right. You can, you can see some of the escalation that was going on. Yeah. What else did you observe? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. They both wanted to be heard, and they both wanted help. But, you know, when, so we, when we hear that in the inner dialogue, that's what was kind of driving everything. But what was coming out of their mouth was not something that was helping them to be heard in that process. 
Good. Anything else that you, you observed? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And doesn't that happen in our relationships, you know, with people? You know, we're intending to communicate one thing, but what actually comes out of our mouths is like, ah, oh, can I have a do-over on that one? <laughs> that didn't quite go the way that I wanted it to. Um, but as you were, as you pointed out, as this conversation went on, you really got a sense of how things were escalating, how things, what was going on inside of us. And that's what often happens, you know, with our conversations with people that are significant to us is we get frustrated. Okay, I just want to be heard. I want to help. And this is not working out. You're misunderstanding, you know, what I'm trying to say here. And we get frustrated. And then our words and the things that we say become sharper and harsher and it creates more and more disconnection, the very opposite thing of what we're looking for. You know, unfortunately, we are not privy to the inner thinkings of each other's brains. You know, with a, sometimes that would be a good thing, but sometimes that could be a really bad thing. <laughs> um, but the question, when I, when I think about this, is a question that comes to mind, and that is, what really triggers these responses, these reactions? What really triggers, you know, these internal dialogues? And the answer to that is our broken experiences from our past. We bring those in and we develop, you know, certain sensitivities. So when people speak a certain way to us or they use a particular phrase, all of a sudden, man, we're triggered. And you're sitting there going, what was that? And we don't understand what's going on. And sometimes the person who's kind of reacting, they don't understand either because they don't really understand what their emotional triggers are. So what I want us you know, to do is t- for us to get to know some of our own personal triggers a little bit better. Um, you have another handout there. It should say you know, emotional triggers and reactions. And what I want to do is give you a few minutes to kind of begin to understand your uh, personal triggers. Because again, if we begin to understand the things that trigger us, that we're sensitive to, it's going to help us kind of put a stop to the cycle that Becky was uh, beginning to talk about. So here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to uh, just take a few minutes And I want you to think of a person you have conflict, a a significant person, whether that be your spouse, a parent, you know, it could be a sibling. And I just want you, first of all, just answer the question, circle the question, uh, the emotions that you feel when you're in conflict with that person. And secondly is what do you generally do? How do you behave? How do you respond with that? When you're done with that, what I want you to do is take the emotions on the back side and write your emotions at the bottom and then write your behaviors at the top, okay? Just on one side, all right? Take a few minutes to do that. All right, if I can have your attention back, and I recognize you may not be done, but, you know, you're taking this stuff home, so you'll be able to think about it a little bit. Um, 
One of the things we need to recognize when we're in conflict you know, with people, especially people who are you know, significant to us, is we become, we're very aware of their behaviors and how they're talking to us. Um, and a lot of times when we try to fix things, we just try to change the behavior. But that cycle just keeps on coming back. We get that feeling like, here we go again. We're always arguing about things like this. What is going on? And the reason why you're, we're doing that is because we're not getting down to the real issue. Because what's really driving our conflicts and our disconnections with people are the underlying emotions. And um, when those come up, they really generate our behaviors. And so here I'm going to kind of um, use this kind of a cycle. Let's say if there was a husband and wife. Yes, on one side, you know, you have the husband talking about his emotional issues and then his behavior. Now, if you would put the couple together, have the wife over here, her emotions over here, and the husband and her behaviors over here, here's what you would see. When his triggers kind of go off, he begins to respond on the coping behaviors that you wrote down, like similar to what you wrote down. And when those coping behaviors go off, what happens? It triggers her emotional issues. And then she responds with her behavior, which triggers his emotional issues. And you can see this cycle going around and around. And the only way to break it is for us to really deal what's what's driving the cycle. And those are the emotional issues, you know, that are underlying the issue. <laughs> um, and so it's important for us to be able to understand what we're sensitive to, what those triggers are. One of the things that I want you to do, so because we're just kind of beginning this process here tonight, is you, for you to take a look at those uh, emotions that you circled, because those are the things, those are going to be your trigger points. When people um, make you feel you know, invalidated, it sets off these emotions and you get protective. And that's why you can flip your lid with that. And so to begin to not, so you don't flip your lid, is you need to be able to name it. Like, for example, you know, it's like you might, if you have a problem, it's like when you're in a conflict with a person, you're always feeling invalidated. Well, maybe you just name, you know, your emotional issues, okay, invalidation. And it's important for us to be able to begin to recognize it. There's an expression, I'll explain here. There's an expression, between stimulus and reaction, there's space. So like when we get triggered and then we react, there actually is a little bit of space. Now for some of us, when we're really triggered, there's, there's no space at all, at all. We're, just, we're, just in, we're in it and World War III breaks out, you know, and it's terrible. What we want to be able to do to be able to reconnect is we need to use that space. We need to be able to press pause and kind of distill what's going on. Why am I reacting this way? Why, when she said that, it made me feel, you know, like I wasn't validated, that I, you know, I needed her approval. What is going on, you know, with that? When we begin to recognize and put a name to our, you know, emotional issues, it allows us to stop. And we can begin that process, instead of just reacting, is we're going we're to use the space in between the trigger 
and our reactions and think, okay, I'm going to press pause here. Oh, this is my approval issue. And then I can, the next second step would be, okay, normally I behave, you know, all the coping mechanisms that you listed there, this is how I normally behave. Well, then we can speak, the third step would be speaking an eternal truth into it. Like, for example, if it's an approval issue, or a validation issue, it's like, you know, my identity comes in Christ. And I have value regardless of what is going on in the situation. I don't have to feel worthless here. I can respond in a different way. And so what I'm trying to do here in a a very short amount of time is begin to help you understand what your personal triggers are. And if you can name those triggers, there's actually science behind it, and we don't have time to go into this, um, is if you can name those triggers in the moment, it allows you to to press pause and not be so reactive and begin to respond in a healthier way. So that's what we're working through. Tonight we just kind of scratched the surface, but I want you to begin to be thinking about your own personal triggers. And that's why we did that exercise, because the next time you begin to feel it and you name it, it's like, oh, this is my invalidation issue coming up. And then you can make a choice and respond in a different way and you can begin to break the cycle. But how do we respond? Well, that's what Becky is going to talk about. Last time that Dave and I came and talked, I I mentioned at one point during the time that when we look at couple issues, we often look on kind of three different layers or levels. Um, The top level being the topic, right? The, The subject matter that the argument that we're having a conflict about, right? Um, So it can be big things like, I can't stand your mother. (laughs) Or it can be little things like, you know, you fold the towel wrong. And that can, it can, so the topic is one level. Below that level is communication skills and um, conflict resolution skills. So how do I talk, how do we talk about it? How do we talk to each other? And are we doing that in an effective way? And then the kind of more foundational level is what we're talking about today, these attachment needs. Do I matter to you? Are you there for me? Right? Maybe when you fold the towel that way, I think I don't matter because I've told you I hate it when you fold the towel like that, right? So it taps that attachment need. And if the attachment needs are intense, then all our communication skills and conflict resolution skills that we normally use can go out the window. So it's important to be able to push pause, like Dave is saying, to use these. And I'm going to be talking a little about um, some great communication tips. So it's kind of on that level of if I, if I really can't use these communication tips, then let me ask myself, let me drop down and ask myself, what the heck is going on inside me? What's feeling so triggered that I can't use them? Um, <clears throat> So I'm going to talk about having a love conversation. So L-O-V-E, standing for little tips to help us remember. If I want to have a conversation where I really feel like I am building connection with this other person, um, first of all, of course, is listen. To listen, you need to be accessible and you need to be engaged as a listener. 
you can't do this if you're not physically present, right? You, obviously, you can't listen to someone if you're at work all the time and their schedules don't match and you don't see each other. But you also can't do it unless you're emotionally present. So if you are there on a screen, right, or if the kids are running around or if you're distracted and not listening, you're not emotionally present and you aren't able to have that good connecting conversation. Um, or if you're using a substance, if you're drinking, if you've been smoking weed, it's just that much harder to be there. Oh, I'm going to back up. There was one other thing I wanted to say, because we are saying by God's grace, we can learn to um, connect in healthy ways. And I just want to, just in case people are here who don't come from a Christian perspective, and I'm mentioning God, and that might be off-putting, I did want to just say that we are definitely not saying by that that only Christians can learn to connect in healthy ways. That is not what we're saying. From a Christian perspective, we're just saying anything good in our lives and anything positive is by God's grace. So if you are able to connect in a healthy way, thank you, God, right? That's by his grace. So that's just our perspective on that, and I just wanted to clarify that little piece. Um, So L, listen, O, with an open heart and an open mind. This is um, being responsive and showing interest. It gets tough if you are in a negative loop with someone, right? Not necessarily even your partner, but anyone in your life who you've been hurt by. If you're hurt, you start closing off and protecting because it's just not safe to have an open heart and mind. Um, And so we start to, when they're talking, we start thinking of how we're going to have a rebuttal to them and we aren't having an open heart and mind. So this is when to really kind of lean on God, like Dave was saying, like, okay, the eternal truth is that God's got me, he understands, God help me, even though I'm hurt, have an open heart and open mind to hear my, to listen to my partner, because they matter. Um, Then V for validate and affirm. You want to give validation and affirmation. We talked about this last time we were here in depth. Um, The short version is just let them know what makes sense to you. Um, Right? Oh, that makes sense that you're feeling stressed. I get it. Oh, that makes sense that you're scared that I might be spending too much time with my mom and get burned out. If, if he'd gotten that piece of validation, that would have really changed the direction of that whole conversation, right? Um, find, if it's hard, just try to find one understandable part. Okay, so... Oh, I didn't think our daughter was being disrespectful when she said that to you. But if that's what you thought, then I understand why you reacted the way you did. Then I understand why you feel hurt. Even though you don't think that's really what happened. But you aren't going to lead with that. You're going to lead with validation and affirmation. Um, And then E, express yourself, your thoughts and your feelings, softly, simply, and slowly. um, expressing self-disclosure, expressing your getting in touch with your own emotions and sharing that. And then um, the softly, simply, and slowly is because if I'm coming in and I'm talking to you loud and fast and I'm I'm over-talking and I keep repeating myself and I'm saying it like this, then automatically inside you, there are things inside you that are going to be like, whoa, not safe conversation, right? Scientists are researching this one, too, and it's that softer, slower, simple voice 
that really helps people feel safe. And so it really is helpful to connect on a deeper level. Um, those are just a few tips for you guys. We're wired to connect. We're prone to disconnect. Um, but if we can understand our own triggers and if we can do our part to have that healthy connecting conversation, by God's grace, we can learn to connect better. Dave's going to just wrap it up. Here's Going on from here, it's just to answer basically uh, these questions at the bottom of your page there. You know, are you a pursuer or a withdrawer? Talk about that. You know, what are your emotional triggers and what are your coping behaviors? Become more aware of that, which is really important in a relationship is if I'm aware of what Becky's triggers are, um, there's, I have two options. I could push them. <laughs> I really want to get her. That doesn't help the connection. <laughs> or I can, I can realize, like, oh, this is one of her triggers. Okay, I can have more ca- compassion. I can engage, you know, I won't flip my lid. I can engage the, the empathy part of my brain. And so I can interact, you know, with her by being aware of what her triggers are and also being aware, again, of my own triggers. Or sometimes what helps us is being aware of some of your coping behaviors and how you respond. So that when you're, um, you know, like Becky and I, it's like, if I'm aware of her coping behaviors, when I see that, now I could just kind of react to it. Or I can say, oh, her buttons have been pushed here. And so I can have a little bit more compassion. I can lean in with the compassion piece. I can speak into the emotional piece of what's going on. Because like we were showing in that example, it's like, you know, we're, we're saying one thing, but sometimes we're feeling something completely different and we're having a hard time communicating what we're really feeling. And so when I'm watching some of those behaviors, um, I can say, oh, instead of just reacting to the behavior, I'm going, okay, she's hurting. And I need to kind of lean in with that. So be aware of, you know, your own personal triggers and your own coping mechanisms. And the third thing is, what part of having a love conversation is most challenging to you? And what do you think you need to work on? Because part of what we're trying to do is, you know, we're all in process. There's not a single person in this room that isn't broken, that isn't needing, you know, Christ and needing us to to walk with him to help us grow through that. And so part of what we're challenging you to do as you go away from here is to talk about these things so that you begin to understand yourself better and understand uh, your partner better as well. We want to thank you for uh, this opportunity just to share a little bit. We'll be hanging around. If If there's questions that you have, feel free to come up and talk to us. Stephen, I'll turn it back to you. Wow, lots of lots of really good stuff. Thank you both. Um, man, I know I'm a pursuer and my wife's a withdrawer, and so our cycle looks like me chasing and her going, "Ah, give me space. I need to I need to think about this before I engage." And so, um, and yeah, just this uh, the sense of the things that trigger me or like kind of fear about the future, 
something will happen. I'll be like, wait, 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 if this happens for the next 20 years, we're going to be in really a bad place in 20 years. And then I freak out and squeeze really hard and chase after. And so, yeah, there's a lot to think about. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Dave and Becky will be here. Pursue them. <laughs> they will not withdraw. They will not withdraw right now. So, um, so you're safe. Um, and, yeah, um, please take these questions and dialogue. Um, if you're having conflict right now, um, it might be hard, but I'm hoping that maybe, I don't know, if you're not having dialogue, then, or if you're not having conflict, use these questions tonight because it's safe. <laughs> you can talk about these things now when things are good, you know, and maybe prepare or anticipate things that have happened in the past or things that might happen in the future and um, sometimes saying, hey, you know, before this information, this is how I would have responded, but I'm thinking now it might be better for me to respond like this. You know, it's another way to to engage with each other over these questions. Um, so, and uh, and thank you. I mean, I, again, I appreciate Dave and Becky's ability both to bring the Christian perspective, but also to have stuff that's helpful from all walks of life. Um, so thank you for bringing that balanced perspective. Um, it's part of our hope that as a church we can both encourage people who are following Jesus, but also be a blessing to people who aren't following Jesus. And so, um, so I'm hoping that no matter where you're coming from, you've been blessed tonight. So um, if you have, I don't know what the kids' situation is upstairs, but if your kids are upstairs, I think you've got time to go. And oh, There's no kids upstairs, so never mind. All right, well, we were prepared to watch your kids while you went on a date. Um, and so, um, so, yeah, I hope that the rest of your night tonight enables you to make positive steps um, in your own relationships. So thanks for being here, and uh, have a good night.